This is an Urbanarium City Talk. And this is Should I Stay or Should I Go? A show about Metro Vancouver's housing crisis. I'm Jenny Tan, just a regular person trying to make it in Metro Vancouver. On the podcast, I work out if I should stay living in my camping trailer or go somewhere else where I can afford to live. We acknowledge that Metro Vancouver is the unsurrendered traditional territory of many First Nations, including 10 local nations. The modern housing crisis has its roots in the colonization of Metro Vancouver and continues to displace Indigenous peoples. On today's show, Leslie Shea, co-founder of Tomo Spaces, breaks down co-housing and what it costs to build a home. Leslie, it's so good to see you in studio this morning. Yeah, it's so nice to see you too. I'm I'm getting all the warm, fuzzy feelings. <laughs> I'm waiting for a conversation. Leslie, to kick off, do you want to tell folks, you know, introduce who you are? And also the question we ask everyone, what kind of home do you live in? Yeah, so my name is Leslie Shea from Tomo Spaces. Um, I live in a converted schoolhouse. Um, it was previously a school built in the mid-1900s by a Chinese Catholic church. Today, it's a multifamily building with five families. It's one of our, our early Tomo projects. The inspiration for the adaptive reuse actually came from the Chinese courtyard houses. So one summer, uh, my brother, who's also my colleague, and I traveled to China with our father. We visited cities in the north and south and saw variations of courtyard houses where several generations lived together. So courtyard houses are usually uh, three or four wings wrapped around an interior courtyard. Private spaces aren't large, but there are lots of spaces for um, gathering, doing work together, chores, and playing. So the challenge for us, of course, is then how do you build a courtyard house in Vancouver's urban form, given its grid, standard lot size, building codes? So for instance, we thought um, this building should be a place for kids with access to outdoors, visits with neighbors, and just to play freely, um, and a place for older adults to age in place. I got to say, Leslie, in the dinner conversations at your family must be super interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I work with my brother, right? Right. Yeah. Leslie, my big question for you to kick off, what do you think is causing the housing crisis? Let me think about this one. Yeah. I did. I, it's, that, this one's really hard to answer. Mm -hmm. There's no one cause. And so I try to picture the housing issue like uh, like pebbles being thrown into a pond. So a pebble could be the escalating land price, another income and employment, um, escalating construction costs, lengthy city processes, and more. And so these waves are affecting one another and manifesting in this in our housing crisis. So there's no one tidy solution, but rather we need many solutions. I want to ask you, Leslie, about what you think is the role of a thoughtful developer is in helping solve the housing crisis. I do think a lot about the, the people that I'm building for. And, and I think it could also be because many times I do know the people I'm building for. Oh, no way. So That totally doesn't make sense to me. For example, like right now, we are working on a 12-unit co-housing project. So we know the co-housing the co families. Oh, okay. And so we've kind of 
invented, I guess, invented or, or we are piloting this co-design process where, where were the developer and, um, and they're the, the families we're building for. No way. This is probably like a little bit um, specific in that this is is co-housing. Could you define co-housing? Yeah. Yeah. So so co-housing is what they call like an intentional community. So a group of families who have um, come together to to live together. They each own their own unit, but in a co-housing a building or co-housing project, there is a lot of amenity spaces. So they, most, most co-housing communities will, um, like share meals. They'll garden together, maintain, maintain and manage their building themselves. So there's this very active, um, this very active intention of, I want to know my neighbors. I care for my neighbors. You know, as you say all this, I'm like, how do I get, how do I get into one of these? So they, I mean, they're still looking for families to join them. So actually, so I do, I think this feeds into the next question because I'm, I'm curious about the cost of building a building. I don't know when I was doing this or for fun on a Friday night. This is crazy. <laughs> like I started looking at financial reports because I was just kind of curious, like how much it costs to build something. And I was like, actually kind of shocked. Like, can you walk us through like a small overview of how much does it cost to say like to build, I don't know, a six to eight story complex? Okay. So you want to do some math? Yeah, let's do it. (laughs) Okay. Yes. Let's do some math. So because I'm interested in the missing middle typology. So the missing, missing middle is just describes the housing form in between a single family and a high rise condo. So Everything in between from like a duplex, three to four stories, walk up, mid-rise, that can all be considered, um, the missing middle. Um, so it's, it's, and it's, it, people call it missing because we don't see it. Right. Um, we typically see the single family or we see the high-rise, um, condo towers. So, so I'm interested in this, in this missing middle typology. The missing middle typology that, that I've been thinking a lot about is this three to four story wood frame. Sure. So I've been crunching the numbers from both sides. So asking, so what can families afford on one side? And then on the other side, well, what is the cost mm, Okay. to build that home? So first, it's important to know who we're building for. So let's say we're building for a family of three with two incomes. And the total family income is 100000 per year. So it could be... Um, Two full time, one part time. So yeah, so two incomes and a total family income of a hundred thousand per year. If this family was to spend thirty percent of its income on housing, this would equal two thousand five hundred a month. So how much home mm-hmm. could this family afford? Mm-hmm. So with two thousand five hundred monthly mortgage payment mm-hmm. at three percent interest. The family can borrow five hundred and sixty thousand, knowing that there's a down payment. And so, let's say this five hundred and sixty thousand dollar represents eighty percent of home price, mm-hmm. and the family provides twenty percent as down payment. Mm-hmm. Then the total would be seven hundred thousand. So this family would have seven hundred thousand to spend on housing if they're looking to buy a home. This family could afford. A home around seven hundred thousand. Okay. Yep, I'm digging it. Okay. <laughs> so, for a family of three, 
it this family would be looking for two bedroom maybe 700 to 800 square feet so then on the developer side what is the cost to build that home so it's about a thousand to twelve hundred dollars per square foot so let me walk you through the breakdown Okay, like three laptop, three to four laptop screens is one square foot. Okay, good enough for me. Okay, and that's a thousand to a thousand two hundred dollars square foot to build. Yes. Oh, jeez. Okay. Whew. Okay. Okay. Got it. So yeah. let me walk you through the breakdowns. Yeah. So the the major categories are land. Yeah. Land costs, hard costs, soft cost, municipal fees, financing cost, and profit. So depending on location. Land would be about four hundred to six hundred. Um, hard costs; um, these are costs related to construction, like materials and labor, would be four hundred to four fifty for a good quality build. This is like bearing like two by fours or like four by sixes. So basically, like steel, steel rods, right? Yeah, like okay, yeah, your your it. materials, like for your cabinets, for your. Um, Plumbing fixtures. Got it. Heating. Um, <laughs> Got it. And then there would be soft costs. So these are costs related to development, like architects, fees for architects. Mm -hmm. And this would be, um, then you would add another $80 per square foot. Then there are municipal fees, like development cost levies, permits, water sewer connections. And then this would add another $50 per square foot. Then there are financing costs, and this is twenty to thirty dollars per square foot. Then there's the um, like a profit, which would add ten to twenty percent on cost. So when you add everything together, that's around a um, thousand to twelve hundred square feet. So it seems to me like the largest portion here, one the two largest portions are land costs, and then next is hard costs. So you you see right away that um, yeah that land is forty to fifty percent. Of what? Right. Of our housing. So maybe with all that information, Leslie, and just with all the other information that's in your brain, if Leslie Shea were Empress of the World and you can wave your magic wand, what would you do to solve our housing crisis? So I think, and this will go back to your question about whether you should stay or go. <laughs> so I think we need more people in the field. Um, with more people, including smaller developers, um, we have more points of view, more experience, more ways of looking at and approaching housing. Like take me, for example. I think, I think I'm your unlikely developer. I don't fit your usual mold of a developer. And, yeah, I mean, like, and, and I think you said that to me. I say that because I used to feel out of place in meetings. So I would say, like jokingly, I would talk, like sometimes say, you know, I have more books on planning theory than the, I have more books on planning theory than the business bestsellers. And then I would, and I would joke with my brother that, you know, I think deals are something that you get on Boxing Day. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I think, I think I'm like your unlikely developer. But then because of who I am, um, my background, my experiences have all shaped the type of projects that I choose to do. So if I were in charge, I would want to enable um, more people to become developers of their own neighborhood. So, Dude, I want to know. So, yeah. so should you stay or should you go? You should definitely stay. Really? Because we need people. We need people like you, like who are interested in housing to like, so yeah, so we need more people like you in housing. 
with your background, with your perspective, with your curiosity. I'm going to ask you a question, Leslie. I think I already know what you're going to say. We're going to shoot it over anyway. So, Leslie, when the grand scheme of things, like when you look at Vancouver, would you stay or would you go? I would, I would stay. And I hope you'll stay too. I think this is a good place to end, Leslie. Yeah. Is there anything else you would like to add? Oh, I do. I've been working on a toolkit to help people like co-housing communities or, or nonprofits who own land or even just you, your friends who are curious or who are, or who are wanting to develop. Um, so I've been working on this toolkit. So if, um, if people have questions that to help me think about how to better design this toolkit, if they have questions, they can, um, tweet me at, um, so they can tweet me their questions at Tomo Spaces. You might get a whole rush of my friends beating down your door, being like, how do I get into development? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for this conversation. I learned a lot. And now let's break down those ideas with architect Bruce Hayden. So that was Leslie. What do we think? I'm a bit biased on this one because I've known Leslie for a long time and her brother Mark. And they're just uh, awesome, awesome people trying to do really good things. And, uh, you know, just on a personal note, the, the schoolhouse project that Leslie lives in, um, well, I was the architect for that. So, so, so it was the greatest project ever. I've done many great projects, oh, you know. And so they were I don't all think, fantastic. They're all fantastic. None of them has a single flaw, right, ever. Okay, let's so. just... <laughs> we got that. Okay, great. We recorded that. Fantastic. Okay, we got that good. They call themselves TOMO, which stands for Together More. And I think Leslie and I would be aligned in this, is that so often in the real estate environment, we kind of, what we value is, is luxury control and privacy. We, in fact, value... And we put a financial value often on isolation. Mm. And I actually think that's tragic. You know, I really do think that's tragic because we know that none of those things are actually correlated with human happiness or societal happiness. Mm. What's actually correlated with human happiness and, and societal happiness is human connection. Our ability to talk and communicate at, at many levels, not just the kind of intimate friendship level, but the day-to-day -day greeting level. And it's an area of personal connection. So the fact that Leslie has a development firm that is really passionate about that is something that I love. I mean, I think it brings this like, it brings this new idea, right, into the housing market because like, you know, m my friends are always like, oh, you're going to, you know, rent forever or you're going to like buy an apartment. No one says talk about buying a house. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe one person in my life talks about buying a house. Everyone is like, oh, you're going to buy an apartment, right? No one's like, oh, are you going to buy a co-housing unit? I think it's an important point here that there are options, that there are limit, they are limited in our market, but there are options. I'll also say before everyone rushes it out and like, and tries to buy a housing unit, like, like the reality is like they're not cheap either, right? Like they're not that affordable. I was so, so happy like about this idea of like getting a housing unit. I like rushed to Tomo Spaces website after I was like, oh, I cannot afford that. Like, let's be realistic about that. They, like every other developer, are subject to the very high cost of construction and land in this region. And so like, I really was glad that Leslie stepped through the construction costs with us. Like with me, I, I just found that fascinating. Maybe I'm weird, but I just found that super fascinating to understand like how expensive it is to build here. There's definitely a narrative. Like people definitely in the city talk about how, oh, developers are evil. 
developers make all this money, and I'm sure they do. But like, even as a developer trying to do the quote unquote right thing, like it's also really hard to make affordable housing. It's just expensive. It's hard, expensive, and it's very bureaucratic. It's super onerous. So the people, I have a ton of respect for people that actually go through the hard work of building stuff. There are some a couple of fundamental things here that I think are really important in the co-housing model, for example. One of the things about the cost of housing that we don't look at very much is what are the cost of other things around the housing? Mm. Um, for example, if you live closer in to to a center a center of a city, your housing cost is absolutely going to be higher. Be higher yep. But your transportation costs are always always dramatically lower. Like like there is this kind of sweet spot where you don't need to own a car, and cars are very expensive. Mm-hmm. If you look at the overall cost of car ownership, it's very dramatic. Mm. I think the idea of um, sharing that is fundamental to the idea of co-housing mm. opens the door to other forms of housing that are actually generally not even acknowledged as possible. I think it's still on the books that you couldn't have, I think it was more than uh, three unrelated adults living in the right. same house. Yeah, yeah. It actually illustrates about the fact that we actually have um, to some degree, some um, uh, cultural and and sometimes racist expectations about what a family should look like, and, and I think what we have housing to be super, should be. What housing should be? I think we have to be super cautious about that. Part of the answer to the housing crisis would be absolutely to to facilitate the other types of housing. Mm-hmm. that are more communal, that require less resources. Maybe they have a single shared mm-hmm. shared um, car as opposed to five parking spots for everybody owning their own car, right? And I just want to like broaden, like I want to riff off of that and say that like it is a spectrum of housing that it is all about a f- like offering options to people, right? Like some people really want their privacy, right? And some people don't need it as much or some people need privacy in different ways, Absolutely. I'm never suggesting that housing should be one size fits all. I actually love looking in my neighbor's backyard and and my neighbor also likes living in that kind of context where we can see see our backyards. And I love the fact in our backyard scenario where our kids can go and talk to our neighbors all the time. Like I actually think that is a route to a higher degree of social health for them, Mm. right? But not everybody has to agree with that. You know, I want to talk about this idea like that really struck me that Leslie said, that she knows all the families she builds for. Yes. I was like, whoa, 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 wait, wait, like this was another like jaw drop for me. Like, I did not imagine a possibility where the developer had sat down with the families. Usually like, the developer builds and then like you pay some ungodly amount of money for that home and then you're stuck with whatever. It's just kind of what you do, right? You go to market and buy whatever goods are out there. So well, it just kind of blew my mind a bit. I just And I know that that is not the norm. Like clearly that is not the norm, but I was just like, wow, this is possible. Part of what is what what I what I love about Leslie and and Mark their 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 family company is that they're both are you know genuinely good human beings who you know they're financially rigorous because you have to be like you know like developer and development is a high risk financial game like you can't you can't forget that if you're in this scenario but and and I would say that the model that they use which is let's call it an intimate model of development and it's not the only one they use she was speaking about a specific project it is is not the um, is not the only one that's possible. And I would also say that it, it would be very hard to scale that intimate model. Right. So, so when we're talking about a housing crisis, we can't say, let's just get to know everybody we're building right. for. That won't work. Right. But it's awesome that they're doing it. I think the value in this is like, let's not forget that there are options. Yes. I think this is a good place to wrap. I agree with that. 
That was Leslie Shea, co-founder of the real estate development company Tomo Spaces. Hey, thanks so much for listening. Make sure to hit subscribe so you know when we drop our next episode. And tell us what you think. Email us at citytalk at urbanarium.org. That's citytalk at U-R-B-A-N-A-R-I-U-M dot org. I read every email. And thanks so much to our editorial advisor, Urbanarium board member and processing buddy, Bruce Hayden. Our production team is self-hired. Special thanks to Suman Candola. The music was composed by Yute Lee. Will Jackson designed our podcast art. I'm Jenny Tan, and you're listening to Should I Stay or Should I Go? Ciao!